This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 408 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's transfer window. <laughs> we will also talk about the 3-2 win in Hoffenheim, and we will preview Sunday's game against Bayer Leverkusen. For all that and more, joins me Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Did you have a nice international break, non-international break? This is the best international break ever because there were no Isn't international it? games. It, I honestly, for the longest time, I was looking at it going, okay, why are they not playing? What's going on? And then I'm like, oh, you know, South America and North America. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't care. All right. We can move on. Uh, no, it was good. <laughs> it was good. Two days of snow days here in Colorado for the kids. So everybody kind of got to sleep in except for me, of course. And uh, no, life is good. How are you, Stefan? I'm I'm doing fantastic. You know, the the Bundesliga took a break so I could en enjoy some sport for once. Uh I must say the NFL games, the playoff games uh fantastic. I've I've really enjoyed watching that and now I'm uh, all in for Joe Borer <laughs> in the Super Bowl, but uh yeah, uh <laughs> sucks to be you with the Dallas Cowboys. Um Oh, uh, let's uh, that was like I mean I knew it. Cowboys had a great regular season. I turned to my wife and I'm like they're totally going to crap out in the first round of the playoffs again. I mean, I haven't had joy, true joy as a Cowboys fan since I was 18 years old. And I am in my 40s. So it's been a long time. But before oh, that it was man. amazing. Um, but at least they yeah, have. I made one. sure to to watch first take the day after, yeah. the Monday after. Yeah. Oh man, that was so much fun. Yeah. No, I. Yeah, I don't watch that stuff. I just, whatever. I. I. Yeah, but fun, funny enough, mm. uh, people may know me as a Packers fan, but I don't know this mm. season with the Aaron Rodgers controversy. I just can't. I just couldn't bring myself to root for the guy, so I just jumped on the Bengals. I, no. <laughs> I never root for the guy. I mean, for me, it's down, you know, our little little side bit here into the NFL. Uh, overwhelming, these playoff games have been amazing. Uh, really tight affair. Even the ones that weren't like good quality per se, that were more defensive, it was still exciting. I think the best game was Chiefs-Bills, uh, which yeah. broke my heart because I was rooting for the Bills. Not just because I'm a Broncos fan, but uh, Josh Allen is a graduate of the University of Wyoming. And that's near and dear to my heart. So it was, um, that was an amazing game. I wish they could play that again in the Super Bowl. And, but Rams, you know, if Stafford wins it, that's great. It proves just how crap the Lions are. Um, and I don't think that needs any more proof. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, we been, all know how it's been proven are. for like 50, 60 years at this point. So, um, yeah, it'll be a good game that I won't watch because, It, it's on the day I land in Germany at like midnight in Germany and I plan on sleeping. So yeah, <laughs> and I don't really care about either team. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'll, fair I'll watch the, 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 the review about it. Well, what you do care about, of course, is Borussia Dortmund's transfer window. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so yeah, there's so on. much exciting. Yeah, so much. So basically what happened is that uh, Tobi Raschel uh, left to... So I guess we wish him well. You know, he's uh, he was uh, deemed as a football god, but just never quite made it in the Dortmund midfield. I mean, at least and he wasn't Marian Zah. So, yeah. you know, that's already that's already better. Uh, I wish him the best. Um, I think Fürth is a good place for him. Next season in the Zweite Bundesliga, I think he'll get the game time at higher competitive level that he needs to develop as a player. You know, just we wish him good luck, but he did not develop develop into Dortmund caliber player. But I don't see there much shame in it, to be honest. You know, you can. Uh, 
I think overall Dortmund can still be very excited about their development program overall because I think they churn out good talent that you know are for middle players in the second or third division or whatnot, and uh, some also uh, you know get a foothold in the Bundesliga like hopefully also Ansgar Knauf who joined Frankfurt on loan and I think he extended his contract with Dortmund until 2024, so it's a one and a half year loan. Basically for Knauf and uh, yeah, Kiel basically said that they will uh, watch the development of those two players very keenly, especially Knauf. Um, I think for Frankfurt this makes sense uh, in in many ways because um, they need to improve their so-called weak side, um, which is their their weak side just by the obvious fact that on the other side Philip Kostic plays, and. Uh, you know, it just makes sense to to strengthen the the other side because if uh, teams try to overload uh, their own right side to defend against Kostic, you know that obviously leaves room on the other side. And uh, if you have another pace merchant, a speedster like uh, Knopf on the other side, I think that uh, should go well. Um, so far, I think Frankfurt haven't really had a good uh, eye for right midfielder and so I think he'll get some playing time obviously uh, Knauf is also still relatively raw and needs to be molded into a much better player and uh, you know he hasn't had any chance in Dortmund to get really regular Bundesliga minutes I'm not sure he'll get that in Frankfurt but at, at least at a higher clip so um, yeah I'm excited to see what uh Knauf will do in Frankfurt because I think he's a good player. Do I think he will return to Dortmund and be a Dortmund caliber player? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, you never know exactly what the plans are and maybe they will get him back in two years with a positive or one and a half years with a positive development and uh, just add him as a squad player if he's keen to be that. That's certainly a possibility that I would not entirely rule out so your thoughts on that i mean there's not really much to add there i think if you look at a player like marius wolf uh the time in Köln definitely helped him uh i would not want wolf to leave at any time soon i think he's a great asset to borussia dortmund very versatile can play left side right side both defensively wing back and in a in a more progressive attacking role so I think uh, it will benefit Knauf to possibly get more game time. But like you just said, how much more that is depending on, um, you know, how Frankfurt perform, who are in a bit of a dip right now, and the system that they use, that's entirely up in the air. But Frankfurt, of course, need more depth in that position. Dortmund arguably don't really need the depth in that position at this time, especially where everyone is coming back to full health. Knauf would just never play. And I think at Frankfurt, like you said, the chance of him playing more regularly is definitely much higher. Yeah, yeah. So um, the other mini transfer saga, if you will, uh, of uh, the late transfer window uh, has been Roman Birki, who uh, was rumored... Uh, all of out of the blue to join Galatasaray on loan because their goalkeeper Musiala is, uh, uh, I think he has a torn ACL or something. Um, and even the Galatasaray president confirmed that you know they were in talks or that was going to happen. And then uh, you know Alex Burley, well no Alex Burney, I think is his name uh, from from the Swiss newspaper Blick. Um, you know, popped up like a whack-a-mole and uh, basically said, nope, the bookie entourage thinks that's uh, a deal that doesn't really make sense because Musiara is not going to be out for that long. And, uh, you know, so that that was that was a non-starter. And then uh, I think on deadline day, we had the rumor that FC Lorient, uh, I think a, league, a relegation threatened league outside uh, showed interest and maybe Bukki was heading there. But then uh, again, Bernie popped up and said, no, the Bukki entourage thinks it's not really a good deal for Bukki. And uh, yeah, so here we are. Roman Bukki is still uh, with Dortmund training and uh, taking 5 million per year. And uh, so I guess you can 
roughly estimate that he's going to earn another two and a half million while uh, he's just, you know, twiddling his thumbs more or less. Um, I think Lars had a piece on that on uh, his Fußball.news site, um, writing about that, you know, people might have some, you know, reservations toward Berkey now, but it's more or less Dortmund's mistake for extending his contract and giving him a, a raise. Um, obviously, to me, it's sad that Dortmund didn't manage to sort of offload him and, uh, you know, that there wasn't really an opening of of any club in, in Europe to, to really want the 31-year-old. But, you know, it is what it is. What are you making out of this mini saga? Yeah, I mean, I, I would put the blame more on the club again for the extension and the raise, theoretically, even though at the time that it was given, Buki was playing really well. Um, so, you know, that's sometimes how, how it happens. It, it's frustrating for, uh, obviously, the club. It's frustrating for the player, too, because he'd rather play than sit around. Um, he's proven that in the past. And, you know, the fans that now take another reason to dump on Buki, you know, get a new hobby, in my opinion. Uh, both these transfers, I wouldn't have wanted them because um, going to Galatasaray just so that within three months, four months, you're the backup again. That gets you nowhere. Um, going to Lorient, who have a good chance of being in Ligue 2 next season. <laughs> that's that's not what I would do either as, as Roman Buki, who I think is a caliber, a top league caliber player, top tier um, and I think then during the summer, something will materialize and he will go there. I think it was smart for Dortmund to hold on to him this long because Kobel being a young keeper, you're just not sure which direction that goes, right? So Bjorki was a bit of an insurance policy, but now that they see how strong Kobel is and Hits can be kind of trusted to just pop in as a backup, now it's time that you actively try to move him. And it didn't happen. Winter transfer windows are always crap because nine times out of 10, you're just going either to a team that's in a really bad situation or in to just be a stopgap filler. You know, that's usually the case. Unless, of course, you're Obama Young and people will give you eight and a half million euros just to get you the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> um, you know, if you're just that shit of a person, then it's a good window for your two. Or if it's Newcastle United, who are paying astronomical fees for players to play in the championship next season. So it's not a good window. It really, really isn't. Um, and as Union Berlin found out, it's a type of window that can leave you severely weakened for the rest of the season. True, yeah. Man, I'm really mad about this transfer. Not because, you well, know... Well, Max is an asshole. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't I, care about Max Kruse per se. I, yeah. it's, just the, it's just the imbalance in the structure of the Bundesliga that basically the Volkswagen AG can just... But that's, that's just the situation. Around. Yeah, but it, it annoys me to no end that Volkswagen can basically, or Wolfsburg, to that matter, can just screw around and make a million bad decisions... And then, you know, if they're in trouble, Volkswagen will just bail them out and pretty much every other club that doesn't doesn't have a sugar daddy back, backer like Volkswagen or, I don't know, SAP or Red Bull or just, I don't know, what, whatever the uh, owner of this Philadelphia 76 is, <laughs> who is now funding Augsburg um, and so on and so forth and the last Windhorst and whatnot, you know, they're all fucking, they're all, they're all screwed. And uh, yeah. Union Berlin is a club that's, you know, for for all I can tell you, is pretty much self-made. You know, they're really, they're on merit and they're fighting for a Champions League spot. They're fighting for European spots, which is amazing for a team like Union Berlin, who, you know, not long ago have not, never before played in the Bundesliga. And uh, it's, that's a great rise for them. And right now they're clearly the number one in Berlin. But then, you know, Wolfsburg comes around the corner and just snatches up the best player. And to me, that's just very unfair and I hate it. And uh, it does not, to me, improve the 
product of the Bundesliga whatsoever. And uh, maybe maybe I'm just, uh, you know, old, <laughs> just like you, Matthias, and, and uh, a big curmudgeon about these things, but... I I don't know. It to to me it just it just kills the competition even more and it's it's barely even breathing, you know, and yeah, which is which is why I'm distracting myself with with other sports these days because I feel like the Bundesliga is not you know, giving me what I want anymore and uh, this is just another nail in that coffin. So, sorry if I had to rent you a little, but to, to me this transfer not because I, I'm in love with Max Cruz or whatever, I don't care, you know, you can even commend him that he said in the official press release that, you know, please accept the fact that I got a, you know, big money offer and I'm gone. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how you see it, but to me it's it, it's just further proof that this competition is screwed up and it, it needs fixing, but I don't see it being fixed in in any way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as fatalistic as you. Um, <laughs> I, you know, in my opinion, the competition isn't screwed up. It's it's the sport in general has its issues. Um, in my opinion, personally, I don't think there should be a January transfer window. I just don't. I mean, if you look at um, the NFL, they've got, you know, free agency to a point. Then they have a trade deadline. And then that's that. You got who you got. You can claim people off waivers. If people are injured, you can do injury swaps. And then that's that for the season. You know, if all three of your quarterbacks get hurt, tough shit. And that, I mean, that's not specific to the NFL. That's in general U.S. sports thing. You have hard deadlines. And after that, you got what you got. And I believe the sport would benefit from you have the summer and then that's that. Do your business. Don't do your business and move on because... The only ones that can really move the needle significantly in the January window are clubs that have excess capital. You look at teams like Barcelona, which I don't know where they're getting any capital from, uh, Juventus, um, Newcastle United, Wolfsburg, and so on. That's, that's where that happens. And if you would cap that, then Wolfsburg would just have to deal Valdvikos would just have to deal and Max Kuse would have to, for once in his life, honor something. I don't like Max Kuse. I think he's a dick. And uh, personally, him saying, well, I got offered a lot more money. Yeah, that's fine. You've already made a lot of money. I know you like leaving a lot of wads of cash and cabs on your way to Berlin. That's kind of your thing. But to a certain degree, when I looked at Oliver Runat, um, his comments in an interview, I want to say with Kika, where he said, well, this happened so late, we couldn't react anymore, being the club we are. And Max Kuzo was kind of like, yeah, tough shit, dude. And that, you know, is kind of one of those situations where I don't even put the blame on Wolfsburg. I put it on Max Kuzo because he could have said, you know what? No, I don't want to do this to Union Berlin. I have millions in the bank, presumably. Uh, let's do this in the summer. But no, he didn't. He chose the massively selfish route. And and yes, he made a lot more money. I get that. I would, you know, if somebody tempted me to double my income with something, I would really have to consider it. But we don't live in the same world as Max Kuse. And so to just not do that move would have been better. But that's not Max Kuse. He's a mercenary. He's deeply selfish. And so you kind of get what you get when you bring in a player like Max Kuse. And so... Yeah, I mean, we said Dortmund are to blame for extending the Buki contract to a certain degree and you are to blame if they, you know, tie up a player like Max Kuse, who has zero loyalty to anybody but himself. Um, but I, I, I agree that the Bundesliga has some issues. I think it was all founded in that era when, honestly, when Dortmund won the double and really poked the bear at uh, Bayern, and I want to say Karl-Heinz Rummenigge also did an interview about this not too long ago and said, you know, what what prompted the massive change and how Bayern operate? And that was really it. They brought in Pep Guardiola. They had a clear vision. They've done it exceptionally well. They brought they bought really well, and not just like sometimes in the past kind of skeevy ways, but uh, in a very good way, and other teams financially can't compete, even Borussia Dortmund, because 
of once you're at the top in this cycle of finance that you have in world football, European football specifically, even a one or two bad seasons isn't going to kill you if you've made just as much money as Bayern have. And so it's it's more of a struggle. And I even see people who obviously are trashing on Dortmund for not signing a bunch of players. Well, if you can't move Witzel or Bürki and you're like, we just need, we're still in a pandemic era. Yes, now 10,000 fans can come to the Westfalenstadion, but it's still, they're losing millions every week. You just have to be smart about it. And clubs like Newcastle United or uh, Manchester City or a PSG or a Wolfsburg, they don't have to be smart about it. They just don't. Yeah, because like you said, they get bailed out. And that's the issue that somehow needs to be addressed, which I don't think will be because when you have the governing bodies of the sport be so corrupt and honestly imbecilic, as you do at specific, especially FIFA. I'm not even going to get into Infantino's idiotic comments about, hey, if we have the World Cup every two years, then there will be less um, refugees in the world. I mean, give me a fucking break. Uh, UEFA, a isn't, UEFA isn't far behind that, given that you know some of their top governing officials are from, I don't know, Qatar, so it's that are linked with PSG. It's just it's it's nasty. It's an it's an ugly business, and it's weird coming from the U.S. sports, you know, because everybody always talks about well, the U.S. is the ultimate capitalist society. But if you look at the way U.S. sports are governed, it's actually not very capitalist at all. When it talks about revenue sharing, salary caps, and stuff like that. But the game is very, the games are very competitive every year. Uh, players are not getting, you know, they're getting wealthier every year. Cl- the, the teams, the franchises are getting wealthier every year. So the system does work in that. And I think that's something that global football is hard to implement because it's a global sport. It's not a closed sport like basketball, football, baseball, and ice hockey really are. Um, because the only leagues that really truly matter are the North American ones. So it's it's an issue that needs to somehow be addressed. I just don't know how, but by shutting down the January transfer window, that would already go a long way. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But uh, it, just, it just annoys me because I feel like the Bundesliga is uh, not improving as a product, let's say. You know, Bayern up. Pretty much going on their tenth title streak, and uh, yeah, maybe you can uh, pinpoint the moment uh, Bayern decided to completely blow up everything to uh, Ilkay Gunwan doing a no look back heel in the cup final. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, obviously we all enjoyed uh, when the camera cut to Uli Hoeneß's red face in that uh, Olympiastadion stand, but I feel like we've all paid for it since. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, Stefan, I've, I've said it a few times now on Twitter. I said the quality of play in the Bundesliga has improved since the 1990s. Yeah. You know, I think the quality Easy. of the sport has improved. However, the game as a whole has regressed in almost every league um, since the 1990s because there's just less competitiveness at the top level, i.e. who wins titles. Not necessarily below that. I mean, the Europa League race, the Champions League race, uh, a lot of years the relegation race is really tight and really exciting. But if you are a supporter of Borussia Dortmund, who it's kind of like, all right, we're going to be second again, maybe third in a bad year, then, you know, the excitement is kind of, meh. Yeah, okay. but we're, we're actually the That's ones the that got lucky because if anyone's in the conversation to maybe even beat Bayern, it's Dortmund. And if you look at the 90s, yes, obviously Dortmund true. were big in the mid-90s, you know, Champions League, World Cup winners, all that. Yes, sure. But, you know, if, if you look at the... the, the you know, the later years, you know, Schalke were big and close to winning a championship four minutes away, really. You know, Hamburg were a big club, Bremen were a big club, Stuttgart had their year, the championship, even Wolfsburg won. Yeah, Kaiserslautern, you know, there were all kinds of teams that won the Bundesliga and really 
a lot of, you know, if you were a Bundesliga fan in the 90s, you know, and you had a, you were a fan of a, of a decent team, say even Frankfurt or so, you at least were able to dream of your team winning a championship one year. It felt like in your reach, it felt like in your grasp that maybe, you know, a couple of good youth players and a couple of good transfers here and there and all of a sudden you're in the mix, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, even even Bayer Leverkusen then could compete. <laughs> uh, you know, now we play them on Sunday and they they still have a lot of backing, but no one of us honestly thinks that they will ever really be in, in, in the title shout ever again, to be honest. And um, that also counts for clubs like Bremen or Schalke, who now are in the second division, or Hamburg. And I don't know if, if Frankfurt ever will, you know, be big enough or, or have a team that can seriously challenge for the title. Um, all these little stories where, where you have hope for any other club outside of Dortmund, uh, maybe even Leipzig, um, yeah, these these little stories have just died, and I feel like that's just not good for for the Bundesliga as a whole. And uh, you know, me being born in in that era, basically, you know, growing up in the nineties, uh, I I'm more in that time now. You know, I'm 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 like I've reached oh the good old days age. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's uh, to me that's just just sad, and so obviously. Um, I think the the pandemic will not uh, make things better because, um, you know, Sebastian Kiel basically said that, you know, money is super tight right now and uh, uh, that, you know, the small number of fans doesn't really make it easy for Dortmund to make any big transfers in, in the summer and uh, they might have to be creative again. Uh, I don't know if Zakaria was really uh, a transfer target, but as you mentioned before, he's now obviously at Juventus. Um and uh, yeah, that's that's just the way it goes right now. And I, I think Michel Sorg even said in an interview with Kicker that basically what's hurting uh, Dortmund, especially or, or the Bundesliga as a whole, is that uh, stadiums are full in in other European leagues, and that revenue is not lost over there. And Dortmund and the rest of the Bundesliga just might uh, lose the competitive edge completely. You know, in in comparison to Italy. France and, and England just because all that match day revenue is gone on top of everything else. So um, yeah, Matthias, I don't know how you see it, but uh, it was interesting to he's follow. A hundred, he's 100% right. He's completely yeah. right. I mean, when people say fans don't matter, you know, the cynics are like, ah, oh, fans don't really matter. You know, teams, they, they get their money other ways. In the Bundesliga, it's everything. I mean, Especially aside from Bayern, but even Bayern, I mean, it's not like Bayern has been throwing money around this season really that much. It's, it's, it is a massive factor in how these clubs operate. Now you can say in England for the top level clubs, you know, match day revenue is a nice icing on the cake uh, because they just have so much excess cash. But even there, that icing on the cake, given how ludicrously expensive tickets are in England, that's millions. It's millions every week that the Bundesliga is now falling further and further and further behind to all these other leagues, all the other top, you know, in the top five, that um, it it could take a few years to maybe get that back. Yeah, or they've now lost enough that it just will never happen. Wunderlichen interviewed some guy who uh, apparently knows stuff a little better and he said it might take up to five years. For clubs to even slightly recover and um you know i i think it also it also it disrupts the the cohesion between fans and 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 uh, bundesliga clubs i feel like it, we we just you know sort of talked about some of the ailings the bundesliga have and i feel like a lot of fans are falling out of love with the sport you know nowadays there's just so much other stuff to do and so many other entertainment options that uh when when uh, people lose the connection to 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 football too, then they might not just be gone temporarily, but you might lose a chunk of revenue, uh, you know, for, forever just because people just turn turn their backs toward football. So that's another thing to consider, and the, the damage of the pandemic, and obviously, yes, uh, you know, that match day revenue hurts. Dortmund. I think the 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 figure is about four million per match day per home game. 
So what Dortmund is losing, that's that's huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you do that 17 times plus cup until now. And <laughs> uh European competitions. Um I mean, you're talking in the 60 to 70 potential million euro range of revenue that's gone again. I mean, that's that's two years. So you're looking at up over 100 million euros that Borussia Dortmund, who in 2005 was on the edge of complete collapse financially, is gone. It's just you can't get that back. It is gone. And this is some this is why I get so upset when people act like Borussia Dortmund should be making transfers like they're on freaking FIFA or football manager. It's like, that is not how the real world works. That is not how economics works. And it's really, for me, I shouldn't get as frustrated because who cares what stupid people say, <laughs> but it's, but it's a public perception of, um, let's say impatient or unrealistic fans that I feel have been attracted to Dortmund for good or bad reasons that really just drives me nuts. And that's, it's completely unacceptable. If, if that's what you're looking for, if you are looking for a team that regardless of financial situation and reality can just splash the cash like in a video game, then find a different club or stick to your Premier League t- team. You know, that's go to PSG, go to Juve, go to, you know, pick a, a top 10 Premier League side aside from Tottenham. Because um, even when they have money, they didn't like to spend it in the past. But that's fine. If that's what you want, go for it. Borussia Dortmund's not your team, period. A no Bundesliga team, not even Bayern then is your team, except for maybe Wolfsburg. And, but even Leipzig has calmed down during the pandemic even Hoffenheim has calmed down during the pandemic. I was honestly surprised by the moves that Wolfsburg now made in this window, but they're in massive crisis. But we all know that teams that are in massive crisis that bring in a bunch of mercenaries, Stefan, that always ends up going well for them, doesn't yeah, it? it? It always does. And I, I really hope Wolfsburg do not get relegated at all. That would be not a shame. Um, anywho... Uh, <laughs> Let's move on a little because I, you know, there's just not that much to say. Maybe one quote I'll, I'll add because Sebastian Kehl did talk to Ronachich and then uh, he he first sort of said, "Yeah, we didn't sign any players this transfer window," and he said, "Frankly, our efforts have been very minimal because we believe we have significantly more personnel available to us now because players are returning from long-term injuries." Um, I think obviously the the, the main focus here is on Giorena. And, uh, you know, Kier was talking about how he had a tough time uh, coping with this injury, not being able to train with the team since he's still very young and, uh, you know, took a lot of conversations and whatnot. Um, he is probably going to be in the matchday squad for the uh, Leverkusen game. Uh, I think he was nursing a little cold too on top of everything else. Um, so that's not helpful. Um, obviously, yes, you can maybe draw... If you're a little tongue-in-cheek, a parallel to a new sending that he might need some time to just, you know, find his feet again. <laughs> um, and obviously, I hope that Morey at some point will return too. That will be, you know, a nice addition to Yusuf Mokoko. Um, also fit again, and I think that uh, is also a boost for Dortmund, hopefully, because let's let's be real, he had a torrid time. Uh, this season so far, not really any playing time, you know, hampered by a million injuries and everything. So I'm just glad that uh, that he's back and hopefully Rose affords him some playing time um, in uh, maybe the wake of Haaland because, let's face it, Dortmund needs a couple more strikers and they don't have any. So Mukoko is your next be- best option next to Tigges. And you just want to hope that uh, Dortmund further along his development. So, Matthias... Um, Let's talk the Hoffenheim game real quick before we talk about more squad stuff and then Leverkusen. Um, because Dortmund did pull out a win in Hoffenheim and uh, they were by far not the better team and I don't want to call it a deserved win by any stretch. But um, the first goal was uh, really nicely created with uh, you know one-touch football, then Daniel Mann finding, finding Erling Haaland in the sixth minute. 
good start to the game and then Hoffenheim sort of took over. Um, I know it's be it's been a while now, but uh, if you have any summaries or observations, uh, go ahead. <laughs> How's that? How's that for a summary right there? No, um, on the fa I mean, it's great to get a win against Hoffenheim. It's it is better always great. If, it is uh, sweet, sweet honey. <laughs> especially if you add to the fact that you know, the difference maker was an own goal from Hoffenheim. It's just, it's just amazing. No, but if you look at, you know, it's kind of one of those weird games where the visual and some of the stats do or don't match. It's really weird because it seemed like Hoffenheim took over. They had 58% possession. They had 16 shots versus Dalton's four. They had a passing accuracy of 84%. Dortmund only 79%, which is very low for Dortmund. However, they had the identical XG in 1.5. Uh, Hoffenheim, for their 16 shots, had two on target. Dortmund, for their four shots, had two on target. <laughs> but made three um, goals. So basically, every shot on target in this game was a goal. Um, so shots on target were very, very important. That That's really the one, when you look at it, yeah, you know, Offenheim, you know, whipped in a lot of crosses, took a lot of shots. But obviously, if you look at the XG, the 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 chances, the quality of the chances created were not better than what Dortmund did. And Dortmund's goals were, I mean, the two, not the own goal, of course, but even the own goal to a degree, they were well-worked team goals. I mean, that first goal is one of the most beautiful goals you'll ever see in football. It was just pure perfection, how they just tore Offenheim apart. And they didn't have to do it that often, uh, but they did it effectively. The other thing that's kind of interesting is Hoffenheim committed a lot more fouls in this game. They committed 17 fouls versus Dortmund 7. So they disrupted their own flow of play uh, a lot and, and kind of gave Dortmund a lot of um, unique uh, dead ball situations at times. And then the other, the one stat that I thought was really interesting of the passes that uh, Hoffenheim played, 137 of them were under pressure, whereas Dortmund only 91. And when you look at total presses, Dortmund were more aggressive in pressing than Hoffenheim. That really combines to say Dortmund had a good match plan. They, I think a draw probably, if you take all of this together... A 2-2 probably was the quote-unquote fair result. But since it's Hoffenheim and they're not a fair, structured team, I really just don't care. And the fact that Dortmund came out of January with nine points from three <laughs> games against teams pushing for Champions League is huge. And teams that were on a high and very difficult and yeah, against Frankfurt and Hoffenheim, it was really tight. Freiburg was a blowout. But you know what? I don't care. Yes, they got knocked out of the cup in January, and we're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but in the league, this is huge. That's a huge thing for Dortmund at that time where they still were, you know, not at the top when it came to having to figure out who's going to play where and when all the time. So great win. No, not a deserved win, statistically and stuff like that. Morally, entirely deserved. Well, what one thing I, I want to say, obviously, um, what Dortmund did not good is obviously their own ball circulation. I think they they gave up the ball way too easily, especially in the first half. I I thought that Hoffenheim, when they took over, they had a lot of control, and Dortmund often were scrambling. I mean, they were also lucky that Hoffenheim hit the post and the bar twice and uh so that that could have been set piece goals but still very vexing then um, when Kramaric scored um the goal in stoppage time of the first half just how me was because Dortmund once again tried to clock the the wing but somehow the ball still ended up uh on on the wing just uh, like it happened against Sampaoli and I think Rosa pointed that out after the game how they you know really need to work on that Going forward, you know, to be more consequent in uh, in your your tackles and make sure the ball just doesn't uh, leak out like that. And then obviously Munier has to uh, be, I think, the the sort of center back, and he was just way too far from Kramaric, who could pick his corner 
from that cross. So that was really um, annoying to me because uh, it, it feels very preventable and a classic Dortmund mistake uh, these days. And you would just hope that they can sort these uh, things out because it really holds someone back in, in so many ways, especially um, not being a- able to compete in or slash win the cup. Um, really sucks. I'm, I'm glad that Hoffenheim are at least out too, so we're not getting a Leipzig-Hoffenheim Cup final. That would have been my worst nightmare, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, also a little bit of praise to Marco Rose here is, um, I think, you know, it's... I mean, the, the game plan wasn't all that great to begin with because Hoffenheim did manage to take over and be that dominant. And in my mind, that shouldn't quite happen with the team that Dortmund fielded. But at least he did switch to a back five slash back three um, around the 56th minute when he brought Witzel for Wolf and uh, Hazard for Brandt. And uh, that did uh, give Dortmund a couple more passing options uh, through the channels in the, in the half spaces uh, out of their own back line. And uh, that really, you know, had uh, Hoffenheim shook <laughs> for a good 10 minutes. And that's the 10 minutes uh, Dortmund won the game. And... Uh, I, I think at at least that in, in part deserves some praise to, to the coach to make the right call and, and throw something new at Hoffenheim. And it worked, obviously. Uh, I still could have done without that Rotago in the 77th minute. And then uh, it was a lot of squeaky bum time. But, uh, you know, it's it's not like, uh, apart from that, I think Rudy Volley in the 89th minute so that, that Hoffenheim then were this super strong and, uh, you know, overpowered Dortmund or anything. But, um, yeah, in, in the end, we have three points. We have one of one more win where we say, was was it deserved? No. And uh, on the one hand, we can all be happy about it that Dortmund came away with three points because in, in the past, they just wouldn't. Uh, on the other hand, you're also not really satisfied with the way this team is performing. So we're hoping... Um, that uh, they have used this uh, international break, non-international break, um, to work on a couple of things and uh, show more of the face they showed against Freiburg, um, which uh, would naturally segue me to the Leverkusen game now, because that's the next home game in front of 10,000 fans. But Matthias, um, I wanted to real quick talk about uh, possible contract extensions of uh, Zagadou and Akanji, before we do the the final preview, if you will, and uh, Schlotterbeck, and obviously how you think the defensive uh, backline next summer could look like and uh, what that means uh, for Hummels' future. Yeah, I mean, Hummels' future is kind of the interesting one. Given his age, I don't know how much longer he has left on his contract. Two years, um, I believe. It's definitely not the end of this season. I think that it kind of he's aging out at this point and he probably will agree. I don't see him extending his contract with Dortmund or even playing anymore in the Bundesliga. I mean, he even at that age, I think he could do a job in Italy, for instance, uh, which would be kind of cool for him to to transfer out of the country. I don't think he'll play in the Bundesliga anymore. Akanji, very important. Zagadou, I still have so many question marks behind him. At this point, uh, at, at some point, we need to stop talking about talent because he's not 19 anymore. He's 22 now, I believe. And he's exceedingly injury prone. That's that's an issue, in my opinion. I think bringing in Schlotterbeck, because then you will have Akanji Schlotterbeck, would be my guess. Uh, you've got a, a young uh, center back core that can last the seasons. Uh, Akanji would be a big statement extension for Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I I know there are rumors flying around about Niklas Süle. Of course, Dortmund are going to take a look at it. Oh, yeah, that's Why what I wanted you? to tease too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, Dortmund to take a look at it and talk to his agents. Like, okay, he's going to be available on a free, but he's not free. Um, he was obviously not on pennies at FC Bayern, and the wages coupled with the fact that he too is a more injury-prone player, uh, would probably nix that, uh, especially if Newcastle United or somebody like that, who just wants to sign every player that's out there, would come in and offer 
more than buy-on wages or even equal buy-on wages and a starting role, then Zulu would be dumb not to do that. Um, I think his physicality and he's a very good player. I think he would make Dortmund a better team defensively, but financially, I just don't think it makes sense. Uh, Wages plus injury. If he wasn't injury prone, I think the wages would be less of an issue. Combine the two, then yeah. And and Bayern obviously looked at that in their own calculations as well and said injuries plus wages. mm, I don't know, dude. And so I don't, I don't see Niklas Zula happening. Schlotterbeck, I am more confident in happening also because he has way more years ahead of him and knock on wood so far. He's not, he doesn't have the injury track record of a Zagadu or a Zula. Yeah. Uh, I, Hundred percent agree with you. I mean, I I kind of would love to see Zula in the Premier League. To be honest, I just feel like that'd be exactly the kind of league where he fits in perfectly. Um, yeah, I I mean, I really wanted for him to sign for Dortmund when he was still playing at Hoffenheim. When Dortmund chose to go the top rock route, I would have loved to go the Zula route instead. But uh, now that he is earning that kind of money, I just don't think it's smart to do. Because as you said, um, the, the the injury problems is just too severe, which is why I too have also question marks behind the Zagadu extension. Um, and at the same time, I also agree with you, Akanji will be a big one because he is getting to a level now where he is, you know, a, a really international class centre-back and... Uh, statement extension would be probably the right call because I have a hard time imagining Akanji extending in Dortmund because right now he is really in his prime and he could get the big bag uh, and probably also at a club that's more competitive than Dortmund where he can win titles and also you know more glory let's be real um, so if Dortmund can pin him down if you will um then uh, kudos to them, but I just think there will be more alluring offers from abroad, and I I see him leaving, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that being said, I I just find it interesting how Dortmund will restructure their defense. I think um, you you might almost have to look uh, beyond Schlotterbeck and maybe sign another centre-back, because uh, my trust in Hummels is evaporating. If I'm honest, and I just don't see him as a as a starter throughout, especially if you want to have, he just a, doesn't have the pace anymore. Yeah, exactly. He just That's, he just doesn't have the pace. I mean, his his passing skills, his positioning, his intelligence is unquestionable. Yeah, just look at the Royce um, goal. Uh, but, at the, at the, yeah, was yeah. it the Royce goal with, where he I played the pass think so. first? Well, that was also the wasn't it also the Meunier could have been a goal. I think that was also a uh, um, a Hummels pass, but yes. that as it may, it's just his pace. That's that's the issue, and that's what you know Akanji has. Yeah, um, if you want to play and, football with a high line yeah. and want to be aggressive in your pressing, you need to have pace in the back line. That's just that's just a simple fact. There's uh, there's no tactical step you can take to to. Uh, <laughs> To remove that fact, it's it's just physical in nature that you need to have pacey center backs, and I, I think Bayern in their Guardiola years showed that perfectly. You know, with Boateng and uh, who was the other guy? I forget. They even had Dante for a while. Yeah, yeah, even even him. But um, yeah, it's it, it, it's just the fact that you need to have pace in the back, in the back line if you want to play a dominant style. Which I assume Dortmund wants to do, that they want to be an aggressive pressing team and try to pin down opponents because uh, at least in the Bundesliga, um, that should also be their ambition and sort of uh, what they're forced to do because they're the second richest team. Uh, if you, you know, just subtract all the other, uh, you know, <laughs> DAX clubs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I think that's the way to go, and so we need more pace. And as much as I uh, like Hummels as as a player, um, I also think his days are numbered, and Dortmund need to uh, readjust and uh, stay true to the philosophy they have. And Mats Hummels uh, is just not a part of that. Um, if we uh, are really frank about it, so um, yeah, I I think there needs to be a reshuffle at the back line, and 
I think Schlotterbeck is uh, part of Dortmund's future and I really hope that A, Dortmund can make the deal come true and B, that he then really uh, uh, gets old. And if he can play next to Akanji and maybe even Zagadou, maybe we'll have a back three next season. I don't know what exactly the plan here is, but um, yeah, that to, to me makes sense. But if Akanji does not extend, I think Dortmund will get a really nice transfer fee from him and from that money should invest into another good centre-back. Maybe they'll go for Mavropanos from Stuttgart or so. I don't know, but um, yeah. Speaking of centre-backs, Mats Hummels, I think will also not make the game against Leverkusen. I'm not entirely sure what he has, but uh, there are reports that he's out. Just like uh, Haaland is unlike to make it with his muscle injury that he picked up in Hoffenheim. So um, it's going to be a tough one because um, the the thing about Dortmund playing Leverkusen is uh, there will be a lot of goals. The only question is how will they be distributed? In a recent game, it was a 4-3 win for Dortmund where they were really lucky, I think, to come away from uh, uh, with all three points. I think Kusuno was the culprit who had a really silly handball that uh, gave Dortmund the winning penalty, if I uh, recall correctly. But it was a, a game where the momentum swung back and forth, and that's what I um, assume this time. I mean, Leverkusen right now are in third place, uh, and uh, the good news for Dortmund is that they have only 35 points compared to Dortmund's 43 so um, there's a nice gap between the two clubs, but obviously we would love to extend that gap. And um, yeah, I I would also love for Leverkusen to fall out of the Champions League ranks again, if I'm entirely honest, and maybe hope for Freiburg or Union to, to climb up the ranks. Um, but, you know, the reality is it's probably going to be Leipzig and Leverkusen in the long term to occupy the other two spots next to Dortmund and uh, Bayern. So, Matthias... Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, in, in, in this game and what do you expect Dortmund to maybe improve uh, from the first three games this year um, to do better against Leverkusen and to ultimately come away with a nice win? Maybe even statement win. I'm looking forward to absolutely nothing <laughs> um, because this will be a completely nerve-wracking game for 90 minutes. Leverkusen games always are. Uh, even when Dortmund were winning the Bundesliga, they were somehow losing to Leverkusen. Should we qu I, question? Should we? Uh, yeah. Uh, put in context that Bayern play against Leipzig this weekend, because theoretically, yeah. and I don't really see it because Leipzig have yeah. beaten Bayern once in eight meetings. But if they do, Bayern Dortmund could, you know, cut the lead back to three points, and obviously that would be a narrative, and it's uh, hard to ignore one. So. Uh, yeah, but the problem is Dortmund's probably going to lose to Leverkusen, so it really doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I don't... It's optimism. It's, it's a, well, you know, I mean, I am optimistic, but, uh, you know, Leverkusen are weird in the sense of they either destroy teams or they lose. I mean, there's like hardly any middle ground for them, regardless of who's coach. Isn't that funny? Yeah, and sometimes they uh, destroy really doesn't teams matter. and still lose because yeah. they're so mercurial yeah, in one game true. that they are tuning yes. up and then lose 5-2 yes. to two or whatnot. It's really strange. I mean, that's been Leverkusen for like 30 years. It's really weird. Um, but, I'm, you know, if we have Akanji and Zagadou starting, the loss of Hummels isn't as big a deal. Um, obviously, if Zagadou and or Akanji can't play, which I believe they both will be able to play, but if one of them would drop out, then I'd have serious concerns. Um, the back line, so otherwise seems like it's healthy. Midfield is healthy, but Holland, that's 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 the kicker. Who's going to score the goals? Now I know Dortmund did get through the Holland less period this season, relatively okay. But where are the goals going to come from? The nice thing with Leverkusen is they are always willing to give you a chance. <laughs> no matter who you have at, at the top of your lineup. I'm hoping Malin continues his good form, Royce continues his good form, and then you can throw in an Azad, you can throw in a Reyna. You know, the, the one player that I'm just uncomfortable with in this game is Julian Brandt. <laughs> um, 
because he is a Leverkusen player and he plays like Leverkusen plays in the sense of hot and cold in the same game. And cheap turnovers, which is kind of one of his favorite things to do in horrible positions on the pitch, is something you can't afford to do with Leverkusen. So that's that's my point of concern here. I'll be honest, despite all my optimism I always project with Dortmund, if Dortmund can get a draw out of this, I think uh, it's as good as a win. <laughs> yeah, you, you see... The the thing with Leverkusen is I just I, I really don't know what to get because on on the one hand I feel like uh, if Leverkusen have their day if you will um there is just uh, <laughs> th- th- this this could be a merciless loss for Dortmund on on the other hand um you know it's it's a team that has similar problems to Dortmund where they are just very top heavy. I mean, if you look at the Leverkusen backline, I think we have to start with uh, Hadeki or Hadetsky or however you pronounce him. I, I, if I were Leverkusen, I would have signed Berkey by now because I don't rate Hadetsky whatsoever. I think he's a mediocre goalkeeper and I think he's holding them back. Um, and I think uh, Berkey is a better keeper than him. Maybe not by much, I don't know, but I, I think that would be uh, room for improvement and something Leverkusen could pull off. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the, the back line with Bakker and Van Pong as the as fullbacks, I think they're very um, error-prone. And, um, you know, Bakker is also a fullback that is better going forward than going back backward. And I think similar things can be said about Van Pong. But uh, really, I don't think Leverkusen will do anything ever uh, until they get rid of Jonathan Tah. I think he has his good days, maybe then... And here, but overall, I think he's a horrible center back uh, for a team like Leverkusen who want to compete on the international level. I just don't think he's good enough. I don't think his decision making is up to par. And uh, you know, as as long as he is, uh, you know, afforded to to make clumsy mistakes every other week, I don't think Leverkusen are really a, a serious team. And uh, I don't. And and that's that's what I'm saying. While they have amazing players, I mean. Maybe one of the uh, least reported story right now is that Patrick Schick on non-penalty goals per 90 is leading the Bundesliga. He's scoring 1.15 goals, non-penalty goals per 90 minutes. And that has him above Robert Lewandowski, who is at 1.05, and above Erling Haaland, who is at 1.02. So that just goes to show how good of a form... Uh, Patrick Schick is riding and uh, obviously there are rumors with uh, him replacing Haaland next summer and what I have to say to this is yes please if it's feasible in any sort of way yes I would love Patrick Schick in Dortmund because I think if he is in his post Euro 2020 form he can really help Dortmund out and um, you know what he's going to do in Leverkusen to be honest he's not going to do really anything and uh, they just signed Asmoon from Zenit, who I don't think will play anyway, but uh, Patrick Schick should play at a better team, period, because Leverkusen, as we've discussed many times, are not a serious anything, franchise club, whatever you want to call it. I don't rate them. I think they should be gone from the Bundesliga. If Bayer wants to support a team, just back freaking Cologne or, or something. And uh, yeah, that, that's my two cents on this. Um, but it, it just really shows... Um, what a great offense they have with Chicken, and obviously you have the Wonder Kid uh, in in Wirtz. Um I, I think Florian Wirtz is also playing a hot and cold season, who has really world class moments, but then is completely able. Uh, you know, he's a Leverkusen player after all. And um, then I think the the other thing, as you said, Matthias, is is the collective fatigue in Leverkusen brains that appears somewhere in the second half where they just get foggy, disjointed and incohesive and I have zero explanation why but it happens regularly and you can really wait for it to happen that Leverkusen who can be really aggressive and super tight on their opponents and really cover all of the sudden the space just opens up and you don't know why the the, the, the links between the players just break down and it's completely inexplicable to me. I've watched Leverkusen for years and it keeps happening. I don't know why, Matthias. Is it is it just because 
deep down everyone in Leverkusen knows that they're not real. I mean, I'm not going to go quite that far. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you can, uh, as a longtime Tottenham supporter, it seems like sometimes it's just somehow there. It's ingrained. It's really, really weird. You know, one thing about Leverkusen that I totally forgot, I believe they were without Tapsoba or Kusunu. That's, that's correct. Uh, because both are at the African Cup of Nations. So you've got Jonathan Ta. Okay. Um, but definitely Tapsoa, because I think Burkina Faso is still yeah. in it. Um, you know, they've got a few injuries also. I mean, Palacios and Baugatlinga, I believe, are out. Um, so maybe I'm a little too harsh, but I'm just, I look at, I look at Schick, I look at Diaby, I look at Vietz, and it just, just concerns me yeah, a little Bella bit. Yeah, Bellarabi is you fast know, and, too, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah, I mean, he's fast, I, I don't think he's, field. you know, it's, he's interesting, he's difficult, let's put it that way. Um, it's going to be an interesting game. I still, in my gut, feel it's probably going to be something crazy like a 3-3 at the end of the day. I don't see Dortmund keeping a clean oh, sheet. No. That would be hilarious. If this if this was the one where they keep a clean sheet, that would be quite funny. Um, <laughs> How many clean sheets have I, Dortmund I, kept this season? Two, right? I Cologne and Fürth. Two, yeah. Um, but I also don't see um, Leverkusen keeping no. a clean sheet because just like you, I don't think Radetzky is a top caliber Bundesliga keeper. This is where keeper. you bet the over, where you're like over 3.5 yeah. goals, easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is over four goals. Um, and like you said, it's just down to distribution. If Holland was playing, I think Dortmund wins this 1-4-2. Uh, with Holland not playing, I think it's probably more a 2-2 or a 3-3. Well, my my question also is how will Dortmund cope with the Leverkusen goals? Because uh, they have just just like against Hoffenheim, for example, they just sometimes you know one little error leads to one silly goal, and then that silly goal leads to the drop of shoulders, drop of heads, and you know just t total uncertainty, and all of a sudden uh, you bring the opponent back into the game. Um, this is the sort of scenario that can also happen with Leverkusen. At the other, on on the other hand, you know it's it's never impossible that Dortmund pull out another performance like they had against Freiburg out of the bag. But that being said, Leverkusen are a different caliber team than Freiburg. That's not to take away anything from Freiburg, but it's just so that the individual quality in Leverkusen is just completely different. And if if uh, you know. Even if Dortmund press high and, and play well, they still might not have the same result as they have against uh, Freiburg, which was absolutely crushing dominance, especially in the first half. So we'll see. And uh, second, I really hope that Akanji is in a, in a better form because I feel like after his meniscus surgery, um, since he's returned, you could see that he is still a little rusty. And uh, I don't know. I also want him to be a bit more disciplined about leaving the back line. Um, that being said, obviously, we, we completely failed to mention that he had two monster tackles against Hoffenheim, too, where he prevented surefire goals. Um, probably should have mentioned that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's such a tough one to predict. I'm, I'm always looking forward to games against Leverkusen because I know they're going to be spectacular, but I, at the same time, I'm also always very scared because I feel like uh, this can be uh, an epic implosion at any given moment, and um, you know, I think the Bayern game does play into uh, this match day in in some capacity because if Bayern fail to win against Leipzig, there will be pressure in Dortmund yet again, and uh, I I just don't want this whole narrative, you know, where the whole league laughs at Dortmund because they can't get it done as they were for almost ninety minutes uh, against Frankfurt. Basically, where everyone was just pointing the finger, ha ha ha! Dortmund can't get it done after Bayern lost. Um, nothing. I I really want to repeat, but I feel like uh, it ultimately will happen often this season, just because Bayern will not win every game, and Dortmund will pretty much uh, play for the rest of the season, as least as I can foresee it, unless they they lose against Glasgow. Um, they will play on Sundays. <laughs> so, Matthias, I don't know. I, I said that we're uh, going forward. We'll not uh, be able to record a lot of episodes on a Thursday. 
Oh, I don't know about that. You know, swings and roundabouts. I mean, the narrative that has been put out there, of course, in the media, and this just keeps getting regurgitated like bad food, is uh, oh, Dortmund don't have the mentality to compete. And I'm just tired of it. It's lazy and it's bullshit. And I just want it to move on. But I, I realize it will continue coming back because it's something that too many journalists like. It's a crutch that they like to lean on to pretend like they have some deep insight into Dortmund, which they don't. And so it's you know, whatever. Just I don't I don't really care. I've made my peace with the fact that it's the narrative they want to hammer Dortmund with. And if they have nothing better to do, then God bless yeah. them. Anyway, um, I, I think it's it's time to make predictions, even though we're a press conference away from even knowing who will play. But, uh, you know, these are harmless things. I still going to pick Dortmund to win this one, and I'm saying they will win 3-2. I put my trust into Hazard and, yeah. and Guerrero, and I also think... The curse of DX is going to be real again, mm. and I think that Julian Brandt is uh, coming up with uh, as many goals as mistakes. So, um, you know, I just I just uh, think that Dortmund somehow will pull it out. Um, you know, the, the good news is that Dortmund have been relatively e efficient in front of goal when they had the chance to punish opponents. And, uh, you know, I also... You, you need to trust the Leverkusen in Leverkusen. <laughs> I don't know. That that's that's All my right. that's my Fine. prediction. Fine. I'll 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 put my trust in in Malen and Royce and Torganazad and just Yeah, it's not like we have a best. terrible team just because Haaland is out. No, no, of course, but it's he's just such a Obviously. difference maker. It's like Bayern without Lewandowski. It's like, okay, who's gonna score now? Oh yeah, everybody else. <laughs> um so I think now that I, oh, I didn't realize Tupsoba wasn't again. there, um, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to go, uh, okay, I'll join you. 3-2 for <laughs> Dortmund, but I'm, I'm not as convinced <laughs> as you are. Yeah, but at, at, at least I I talked you two into the double jinx of the inner one pot, so we've got that going for us. Anyway, Matthias, um, it was a fun episode, even though there was actually not that much to discuss. <laughs> But, you know, uh, we discussed that there wasn't much to discuss, which was a nice discussion. So, uh, Matthias, uh, please tell our uh, listeners where to follow you on the Twitter webs. Uh, you can, unfortunately, follow me on Twitter, at Matthiasuk. Yes, you can find me at Stefan Wutzko on Twitter as well. You can follow all of us on Yellow Wallpot, uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatnot. And also uh, go to our website, theyellowwall.net where you can find all the means and ways to subscribe to our podcast and or support us on Patreon. Also, patreon.com slash wall. You know, lend us a couple bucks to, you know, support the show and help us out. And uh, yeah, we will be back with a review of probably a chaotic Leverkusen game. I'm already looking forward slash not looking forward to it. And uh, so, yeah, that's all I've left to say. As always, thank you for listening and goodbye.